0: Now what I'm going to do this morning, and I shared this with you last, last Sunday morning, I rarely, I rarely ever get th- finished with a message. I just rarely ever do. And um, I don't know, maybe bad planning on my part, or that the Lord really is speaking to my heart about different things, and uh, don't get it all done. So I told you last week that I would bring the second part, uh, of this message uh, on perfection, what it means to be perfect. And um, last Sunday morning we used this awesome text in the book of, uh, book of Job and um, I'll just share this with you right quick and you don't have to turn to it. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. In the first verse of the first chapter of the book of Job, Uh, God is speaking and said there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was perfect. And that man was perfect. And then we looked at chapter number 9 and in the 20th verse and this is Job speaking. Job says this, If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say... I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. So, what you had in that was God saying that this man was perfect. And then you have him saying, I'm not perfect. So, uh, it's not a contradiction. I told you last week, the Bible never contradicts itself. If If you think it does, then you don't understand what it's saying. The Bible never contradicts itself. The one thing we can put our trust and our faith in that we have on this earth that we can hold in our hand is the Word of God. It is the Word of Almighty God. So, it's not a contradiction. And uh, I shared with you that uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the the Bible uses the word uh, perfect uh, to mean sincere Versus hypocritical, sincere versus hypocritical. And what we did in that, in that study was that I went through s- several passages of Scripture that talked about a perfect heart to show you that the Old Testament uses that word in that way, a perfect heart. It means that there, an individual is sincere. Uh, in what they do and what they think and how they live for the Lord rather than being hypocritical in that. We, we did that. That was our study uh, last week in the Old Testament. Then we went to the New Testament and uh, I shared something that really got a response. It usually does. It usually does. I've had nobody ever in all the years of preaching the gospel, I've made that statement several times and nobody has ever challenged that. None whatsoever. When you get to the New Testament and you think of the word perfect and what it means, it's used in the New Testament in the legal sense. In the legal sense. In other words, Matthew tells us in the 5th chapter and the 48th verse, it says, Be ye therefore perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's what I said that raised a lot of interest. I shared with you that God is perfect. God has a perfect standard. Literally everything in His creation is measured by that standard. That is our holy God. And you say, okay, what does it mean to me? It means that He requires absolute perfection. He always does. He cannot be God and not require absolute perfection. And so uh, here's what I said that raised eyebrows. I said, Nobody is going to go to heaven unless they are absolutely perfect in God's eyes. You're just not going to go. No way it can be fixed. And so. What does that mean? Well, that raises our interest as far as scripture passages in the New Testament are concerned. And of course, I'll tell you this that I brought, I brought this to your attention last week that we, the only way anyone is absolutely perfect is in Christ. Only in Christ. Only. And so when we're truly saved, a truly saved person has had the penalty of all their sins taken upon Christ, paid in full, and that's been taken care of. And then the Bible says that uh, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to the true believer. And so when God looks upon the true believer, He sees them as He sees His Son. They are. They have been made perfect. They really are, have been made perfect. And so that was our message. And you know, as time went on, I thought about what the Bible said in the Old Testament about serving God with a perfect heart. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a New Testament application to that. And so I want to share with you some things I didn't get to last Sunday morning related to this word. And then I want to address this matter of the heart also. So, some of the things that we did not get to and did not see was the way it's used in the New Testament. I don't think I did any of them. I don't think I did. I simply told you how it's used without showing you in the Bible. And so the Bible says that for the believer, listen to this, it is Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you the hope of glory. I think everybody understands what that word hope means. I've preached on it many times and it means confident assurance in that which is promised related to the future that has not yet been fulfilled. So if you are saved today and you know you're saved, you have that blessed hope. You have that hope that God is going to fulfill His promises that He's made to you in the Scripture related to your relationship with Him. Now many are troubled when they run across this word uh, perfect in the Bible. I'm going to give you just two or three examples of that. If you want to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, anybody that hadn't given it very much consideration certainly would be uh, troubled when they run across passages of Scripture like I'm going to share with you. In the second chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. And here's here's what it says in chapter uh, number 2. Beginning in verse 4, Paul says this, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. That's good, isn't it? He says in verse number six, listen, howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Okay, well, you know, preacher, that bothers me. Am I among that group? Does that mean the same for me? In 2 Corinthians in chapter 13, if you want to turn over a few pages and I'll share with you another one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and it says this in verse 9 For we are glad when we are weak. And you are strong, and this also we wish, even your perfection. Now, they would have read this letter. What is he talking about when he says that? And then as he closes this book, in the 11th verse, he says this, Finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect. Finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect. Let me, let me give you another one. Second Timothy and chapter 3, and this is a familiar Uh, passage of scripture and here's what it says in 2nd Timothy in chapter number 3 and Paul is talking to Timothy and he says beginning in verse 14 but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation parent Boy, that's a good promise right there. That from a child, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That may be perfect. So who who would not be bothered by that if they weren't familiar with the way the Bible uses that terminology? So we're bothered by that. And, and so over time, uh, people have come up with different ideas related uh, to that. There's even been false doctrine that has been developed related to a wrong understanding of that word perfect and what that means. They've uh, been the doctrine of sinless perfection. Are people who believe that you have to reach this point, they believe wrong about what it means to be sanctified. And by the way, it's coming up in the study like on Sunday night, week after next. We're going to start looking at what the Bible means when it says that. And Paul said that the God of grace may sanctify you wholly. And we pray that your spirit and soul and body uh, be uh, protected and kept uh, Unto the coming of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the passage we're looking at. So we're going to be studying a little bit about that. So wrong doctrine has developed, and, and I guess it can all be summed up in this way. There are those who teach salvation by works. They teach salvation by performance in life. That's what they teach. That's what they believe. And it all comes, all goes back to this this idea. Now they're right in God's standard, uh, standard of perfection. They're right in that, but they may not understand. They may not be like old Job. God said I was perfect, but boy, I tell you what, if I said it, I'd be perverse. I'd be lying about that if I did. And so people don't understand that. They're trouble when they run across these passages of Scripture. And so that's why people teach that. The problem is our understanding of words that are used in the Bible, and there are many of them. As a matter of fact, in one of my Bibles, I've gone through so many of them, I've got a stack a mile high in my study, and all the blank pages in the front, and all the blank pages in the back, I've made notes in there and written things and stuff like that, uh, in those Bibles and it 's just uh, you wouldn 't believe what all is, what all is in them, but there in one of them there are words that are misunderstood uh, in our culture today in our society. One of them I was in a discussion with uh, someone about uh, the a word that is used in our it's it's hope, the word hope. I just want to go mention that. I think it was Doris. We got in this discussion about the meaning of the word hope. And I made this remark. I said, I've really been trying to train myself to use that in a, in a Bible way. You know, we'll say somebody, well, I hope you get well soon, or whatever. And what we mean is, maybe you will, and maybe you won't. I got news for you, Bible doesn't use that word hope that way. It does not use it that way. It is confident assurance in the Scripture. And I even mentioned the fact that, you know, uh, I text a lot. And I get a lot of texts and everything, and thank God for it. And, and you know, I find myself wanting to uh, text to somebody, well, I hope you feel better soon, or whatever. And I've been changing the word hope to, I pray that you get better soon, and things like that. And somebody, I don't remember who it was, uh, sent me a text and then apologized for their use of the word hope. I think it was Terry. And uh, so, you know, there's words that are different. There's words that mean something different in our culture today and everything different from the Bible. And if we're not careful, it, we, we, uh, we uh, get confused and everything. That word perfect is one of those words. It's one of those words. And it means several different things in the Scripture. Uh, let me share with you uh, two or three of those. It means, one of the meanings is, complete. That's good, isn't it? Amen? So, if you know the Lord and you're walking in the center of His will this morning, I want to tell you, you're complete in Christ. The Bible uses that definition. The Bible uses uh, sometimes lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. And it also uh, uh, means brought to an end. It also means finished. (laughs) It means finished. It means absolute wholeness. And it means mature. Those are some of the meanings of that word when you find it in the Bible. Let me just give you a couple of examples of that. If you will turn with me first of all to Ephesians chapter 4. And this is a familiar passage of scripture. Ephesians the fourth chapter. And I'll show you one of those meanings that are uh, found here, Ephesians chapter number four, and uh, here's here's what the Bible says, uh, beginning in verse number eleven, verse number eleven, and it says this: And he that is God gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. uh, We've got awesome teachers in our church. I tell you, if you don't believe it, just ask the little kids running around here. They'll tell you their teacher uh, is awesome. And some of the adults will tell you too. Aaron's got a whole bunch of them, he'll tell you. Jim's got a bunch of them. But anyway, uh, uh, folks fail to realize sometimes that this is a special calling and gift that is given to people uh, to be a teacher, you know. And then sometimes there's pastors, pastors, That are they have to be teachers too. They can't be a pastor and not be a teacher. That's obvious. And so God gave them. And here's what He says in verse twelve: for the perfecting of the saints. Perfecting of the saints. In this particular passage, it means the equipping of the saints, because it goes on to say, for for the work of ministry. So, when you look at it in that way, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Preacher, I thought you were supposed to do all that. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we all work together. We have a common goal. And that is uh, to uh, serve the Lord and to honor Him in all ways and to witness for Him and to build His kingdom and His cause. He called us... uh, you know, he didn't. Some people have the idea. Well, the Lord saved me just to take me to heaven and nothing else. Well, if He saved you, that's one reason to take you to be with Him. To be with Him, that's what the Bible says. But I want to tell you what else it says too. But Jesus told His disciples, "You have not chosen Me. I've chosen you to go forth and bear fruit, and that your fruit might remain." That it may accomplish something, oh, let me let me tell you something, Christian. Don't go through this life and all tangled up in in the world and worldly stuff, material things, and giving little or no thought to the things of the Lord. And we have, oh, I tell you what, all down through the years as a pastor, I've I've had this little desire in my heart that literally everybody would do everything they could to promote the kingdom and cause of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That has been in my heart. It's not wrong either. It's right. It's absolutely right. And so he says that. He says, for the perfecting of the saints, and it's equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. The body of Christ in the New Testament is the local New Testament church. I don't mean to mess up somebody's theology, but there are people all over the world that believe the body of Christ all saved people everywhere. You find that in the Bible and show it to me. You won't find it there. But when you find the body of Christ, you'll find that it's always a local New Testament church. That is the body of Christ. And so, that's what he's saying. I'll go on and read. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Well, it's a dangerous world we live in more today than ever, ever, ever has been. And that's why I say parents ought to be really, really careful to follow the teaching of the Bible related to the uh, uh, religious education of our our children. Boy, they're facing a lot. And they need every bit of the help they can and can get and it goes on to verse 15 but speaking the truth in love may grow up in him and all things which is the head even Christ that's he's the head of the head of the church and so we find that one let me give you another one right quickly I like this one in the book of Hebrews in the book of Hebrews and in the uh, last chapter book of Hebrews in the last chapter I love this passage of scripture I remember years ago at a Baptist faith missions conference, I was asked to bring a message. And I used this passage of Scripture to bring a message. And I I mean, I've not preached from it since, but maybe I need to real soon. But he says this, beginning in verse 20, Now the God of peace, by the way, next Sunday night, that will be the title of the message. You say, preacher, you mean you find that somewhere else in the Bible? You sure do. You need to pay really close attention to the titles that the Bible gives God. God of peace. Oh, but I'll I'll find mine somewhere else. Sure you will. (laughs) I guarantee it. Yeah. No, I don't either. The God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. It's always been round. Listen to verse 21. Make you perfect. And then it's obvious by the rest of the verse. Make you perfect in every good work to do His will. How many of you believe that's what that means? He equips us, right? He equips us. He gives us what we need. Listen, there is no excuse for any Christian not being able to serve the Lord the way the Lord wants them to serve Him. There's no excuse. Because the Bible, this is not the only place this is found, by the way. Make you perfect in every good work to do His will. Listen to this. I like this statement. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. What do you think about that statement? working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. Oh, but preacher, I'm going to take care of that myself. I know what I need to do. I'm going to do it myself. I want to tell you something, my friend. You better be trusting the Lord to do that for you. Because it says, working in you that which is well-pleasing, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So there's a couple of examples of that. All the different ways that it's used in the... Uh, in the New Testament. And I like what the Bible teaches about that. So, uh, as I sh- thought about this, as a matter of fact, I thought last Sunday morning about bringing a message on the perfect heart because it's used so many times in the Old Testament. By the way, I didn't read the text. <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm going to read the text in First Chronicles chapter 28. That's where we should be And I just didn't read it. And here's what it says. And this is about David, King David. He wanted to build the temple. And God told him, no, you've been a man of war. You've shed blood. I'm not going to let you do it, but I'm going to let your son Solomon do it. And so here's what it says in verse number 9. And thou Solomon my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him, listen to this, With a perfect heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all imagination of the thoughts. And if thou seek Him, He will be found of thee. And if thou forsake Him, He will cast thee off forever. So the Bible says there to serve the Lord with a perfect heart. Now in that Old Testament definition, it meant sincerely rather than hypocritical. And you know, we even looked at one that uh, brought that out. I can't remember exactly where it was at, but uh, one of the uh, one of the places where where it's found is. I think maybe it might be if you'll bear with me just a sec. Yes, here's what it says: "And Amaziah was twenty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem." And it says in verse 2, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. So preacher, what does that mean? Does that mean I can do the things that I believe I ought to do? I can uh, do what it's, I think is expected of me and, and all of that, but not be sincere? Absolutely. I'm telling you that's the meaning of that. So I thought, well, what about the New Testament definition of a perfect heart? Is there one? I don't think it's found in the New Testament. I I didn't really search carefully, but I just don't think, oh yes it is. I take that back. I I read a passage, but I don't have no idea where it was at right at the moment. But, perfect heart is found. I I remember that now. But what about the definition of a perfect heart uh, uh, based on the the definition of that word perfect in the New Testament. All of these things that I shared with you uh, about that. Well, here's what I believe that it means. Now I want you to listen to this. Not only when a person is saved, is the penalty of their sin taken away, and not only is the righteousness of Christ imputed to them, but let me tell you something else. If that's the end of it, What you have is you have people making a profession of faith and going on about their life and doing the things they've always done. They're not changed. How many of you believe that when the Lord saves somebody, He changes them? Well, i tell you what, if you're saved today and you've been saved very long, you know that. You do know that as a matter of experience. But not only is it the penalty of sin removed and the righteousness of Christ imputed, but here's what else it says. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. That's not always immediate. The Bible's very clear about something, and I know this by experience. I've known the Lord about 57 or 58 years now. And I I remember so distinctly about what I thought about things and how I did things or didn't do things when I was just young and I didn't understand the things I understand now. And I realized that I was a babe in Christ. And that's what happens when God saves someone. When God saves someone and they're not familiar with the teaching of the Word, they're on the milk and they're not on meat that comes with time but something happens when god makes somebody a new creature they begin to change they begin to grow and they keep on growing and they don't ever stop growing you say well preacher what if they kind of mess up and get out of fellowship with the lord that's what discipline is about the bible's very clear about that he he chastens every son he receiveth. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, then he also chasteneth." I've had to experience that. I hate to say it. I would like for you to believe I'm one of them that's absolutely perfect and done everything absolutely perfectly right all my life. But I'm like a bunch of you. Don't look at me like that. I'm like a bunch of you. I've had, I've had my ups and downs and the Lord has never... He's still working on me. And that's what He does. He keeps on working. When, it, when someone becomes a new creature, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. What happens is they begin to grow. They begin to bear fruit. They become, they become fruitful uh, in their life. And the light begins to shine wherever they go and whatever they do. People notice that knows the difference now, that knows what the Bible teaches, they begin to notice this person is becoming Christ-like in the way he deals with everything that comes his way in life and with the people he comes involved with. And I want to tell you, the Bible says that a saved person has been born again. Isn't that something? Let me tell you all something. There is a New Testament definition of a perfect heart. One that is sincere. And God makes it that way. And everybody becomes new. You see, not only does He take away the penalty of sin and impute the righteousness of Christ, but the Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell within the individual. Let me see if I can find that verse. It's in the book of John. I, I like that verse. I think I can turn right to it. And it's in, yes, John chapter 14. And listen to what Jesus said. He said, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Preacher, is that reason why I don't keep his commandments and don't live for him? Well, the same reason. I love my little wife. Been married to her over fifty years, and uh, I tease her all the time. I said, "Honey, whatever you say, I'll do. You know, I'll just do anything for you I possibly can." And she'll just grin at me, like, "You big dummy." <laughs> No, it's true, it's true. You know, we know that from experience, do we not? If we love someone, if we love our children, if we love our spouse, if we love our siblings, if we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, hey, does it go that far? Yes, it sure does. It goes that far. There are people who says I'm a Christian, but they, could, they act like they really don't care about nobody else that's saved or claims to be. They do. They act that way. I've got my life and I don't have time to mess with that kind of stuff. That's what the Bible... And it's very. Jesus said, if you love Me. If you, what about if I don't? Well, I'm probably not going to live for Him. Uh, let me read on. Well, I'll read on that related to that. Uh, it says in verse 21, He that hath My commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and we will ma- I will manifest myself to him. Boy, I'd like to have an experience where I knew Jesus was walking with me. Well, He tells us how. He tells us how that happened. It won't happen any other way. He goes on to say in verse 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, And we'll come unto Him and make our abode with Him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. Are there people that really, really, truly don't love the Lord? That's true. Are they saved? Let me tell you something. If you're saved, the Bible says in Romans 5, 5, He shed abroad that love in your heart. If you don't have a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and a love for... His church. I love the church that I've been a member of for 23 years next month. 23 years. I told somebody the other day, I got a phone call from a person and he asked me how long I had been pastor of a church. And I said, 23 years and they've not fired me yet. <laughs> well, I love you and there's something wrong with you if you don't love me. <laughs> I'll just tell you that right up front. And this is the motivation for serving the Lord. Now let me go on and read what I was going to read about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father that He shall give you another comforter. He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but you know Him for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. How many of you believe that that ought to make a difference in the way somebody lives their life? You better believe that because it's the truth. It's the truth. So, what do you say, well, what are you saying then? I'm saying that salvation is a heart matter. That's exactly what I'm saying. Salvation is a heart matter. Something wrong with a person's heart that's not saved. It's a heart of stone is what it is. He cannot serve God. Romans tells us that. Cannot please God. There's no way. It's impossible. You say, but preacher, I've never been saved, but yet I try my best to do the best I can in life and treat people right and do all the good things I can do. And I'm glad you do. We need a world full of people like that. But i got news for you. We're not saved by works. There's only one way a perfect a person is saved. Jesus said, No man cometh to the Father but by Me. You're going to have to deal with that. See? And so, salvation is a heart matter. I wrote these words down. I can't take credit for them. Somebody else wrote them, but I remembered them. Righteousness is first a condition of the heart, And then and only then, a matter of conduct. There's where it starts. There's where it starts. And let me tell you all something. You can talk about doing this or doing that and doing the other in order to be saved. I want to tell you what, nobody can do nothing to please the Lord until He gives you life. That's what happens when He saves somebody. You say, well preacher, what did it mean when I walked walked up the aisle and took the preacher by the hand and made a profession of my faith, you wouldn't have done that when you was dead. Don't you imagine for one minute that dead men walk. They don't do anything. All those things we do are the result of being saved, not in order to be saved. That's the difference between it. And so that's what the Bible teaches us. I want to read you uh, a passage right quickly. I think this is a good description. Ezekiel said it, and he said it in 36 chapter 26 27, says this, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, to walk in My statutes, and you shall keep My judgment, judgments and do them. That's the sovereignty of Almighty God working in the heart of a believer. That's what the Bible says about that. And on and on and on, Scriptures are given. Let me share with you a couple more before we close. Listen to what Jeremiah said in chapter 24 and verse 7. I will give them... A heart to know me. You look up here at me. I do not take credit for knowing the Lord. I do not. He gave me a heart to know Him. And that I just read that to you. It's in the Bible. I'll give Him the heart to know me And they shall be My people, and I will be their God. I believe in the absolute sovereignty of Almighty God. Don't you come and try to explain to me that He's wringing His hands and wondering what He's going to do next. (laughs) You'd be crazy to do that. You know what I'd tell you if you did. Also, Jeremiah said this in chapter 32 and verse forty. I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. You say, preacher, I've been saved so many years and I've not departed from the Lord. Don't take take credit for that. He put something in your heart when He changed your heart. And of course, I quoted this one a while ago. His love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which He hath given unto us. So what's God do when He saves somebody? Oh, I love the thoughts of Him taking away the penalty of my sin. And we sing that verse in that song. My sin not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. We love it, don't we? You better love it, because it's the truth. And also, the fact that He imputes the righteousness of Christ uh, to us or we don't have any. And then, the Bible says, well, that'd be good if that's all I got. I'd just go my way and do whatever I... Ple-. No, you can't. Because guess what? He's got a hold of your heart if you really are saved. He's got a hold of your heart. Aren't you thankful for that? So, I believe there is a perfect heart today. And that's one who understands what it means to be complete in Christ Jesus and desire to serve Him because we love Him. He said it, if you don't love Me, you won't. But if you love Me, you will. Don't you thankful for that? Father, we praise You and thank You for this opportunity we've had to think about this matter. We pray, O God, You'd bless Your Word to our understanding today. You'd help us to know that You love us, and when we're saved, we love You. Father, this is what it means to be sincere rather than be hypocritical. So bless us today, Lord, if there's one who needs to make a commitment. Maybe somebody needs to do so publicly. Maybe there's one that you've been convicting of their sin. And Lord, that you, they need to come and confess you as their Lord and Savior. Follow you in baptism and church membership and a life of service. I pray you bless us just now. Whatever the need might be, we'll give you the praise for what you do. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Now would you stand with me as Brother Ronnie Ronnie leads us in a closing number.